Now, if you've been here, we've been working through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, and we've been working through that. And uh, so when I knew that I was going to get to preach, because we don't work through the books of the Bible here very fast. And what I mean is that we spent several months on the first 14 verses. And so we're blazing through Ephesians. And so I was like, awesome, I'm going to do two chapters, and, and we're just going to blaze through it. But we're going to get through two more verses today. But in all fairness... Um, the first 14 verses in the book of Ephesians, the first 14 verses are huge. And it's one long, uninterrupted statement that Paul says. And it, and it sets the whole stage. In fact, it's some of the bigger statements made in all of Scripture because it talks about who God is. And it talks about what has God done. And so really it sets up a lot of things that are going to come from this point forward. In fact, the first 14 verses drop some heavy doctrine. There's some heavy theology in there. In fact, I know that it's heavy because after some of the sermons on, on predestination, on election, on sovereignty of God, we've seen a lot of emails, a lot of comment cards. I know a lot of people are talking, community groups are talking about this. So it's a lot of heavy stuff that we get to work through. Now, when Paul was writing this, he wasn't simply wanting to be a theologian. He wasn't wanting to simply drop some of theology on you and just walk away from that. What, what Paul's doing in this letter, he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus He's wanting to be a very practical letter. He wants to be their pastor in the sense of, of pastoring them and to help them grow. And so we're going to get now into Ephesians where there's going to be a very practical part of Ephesians. We're going to get to uh, some passages that talk about what it looks like to be a parent, what it looks like to be a husband, what it looks like to be a wife, what it looks like to be a slave owner. What Actually, that is in there, but we won't necessarily... Ah, see, that joke didn't work first service either. I should have dropped it. It is in there. We will get to that, but not to that context. Uh, I should have learned. Anyway, so now Paul is going to get into the more of the practical stuff. And so what we're finding, we're at a transition point today. And what we have here is that Paul drops this big theology. And out of that theology, out of that doctrine, is going to come everything else. It's going to come the practical living of that doctrine. And so Paul actually starts with a prayer first. And so we get into Ephesians 1. And if you want to turn open to your Bibles, uh, Ephesians 1. Uh, we're going to go in, in, in verse 15. Now, we're only going to really spend our time in a couple of verses here today, but I want to read just a little bit more. I think it does a good job of kind of setting the stage and kind of giving a context of what we're going to be talking about here today. Now, if you don't own a Bible, we do have some Bibles on your way out. Feel free to grab one or feel free to jump up and grab one now. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that with you. So we're going to read now. This is what uh, Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in Ephesus. And so we'll start in verse 15. And Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all and all. And so as I was preparing for this today, I was very excited to be able to work through some of this uh, because we're gonna touch on today. Paul is actually gonna touch on today what does it look like to be a Christian? And Paul actually calls him a Christian and he sets out a very basic definition of what does it look like to be a Christian. Now see, the last time I got to preach a couple months ago, there's a few comments that I heard afterwards that sort of concerned me. The comments were, I left and I wasn't sure if I was a Christian. Now, I don't know, at first I didn't know how to take it because on our comment cards we don't have a section that, yes, today I chose not to be a Christian. That's not something we're going here for. But at the same time, as the more and more I thought about that, I thought about what a weighty matter that is and how important that is and what a vital question it is that we can ask of ourselves. Because as I read scripture, there's a part in scripture that really bothers me. Now, it doesn't bother me the fact that it's in there. What bothers me is that it's in scripture and as Christians, sometimes we take it too lightly. Or sometimes as Christians, we don't even think about it at all. Now, we find the scripture in Matthew. Now, in Matthew 7, Jesus is at, these are Jesus' words. So these are the words that Jesus speaks to people. And he says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, this is a very heavy topic that we need to work through because a lot of people that think they are Christians, a lot of people that profess to be Christians are not Christians. And in fact, Jesus says there's going to be a lot of people that on the last day when they're standing before me are going to think that they're going to hear, good, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. But in reality, Jesus says there's going to be people standing before him that he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so it's very important that we work through this. Because you see, our culture has an idea of a Christian that's pretty messed up. So if you're in our culture today, this is how you go about, okay, well, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Jew, I'm not Sikh, so I don't really believe in Hinduism or karma, so I must be a Christian. But that's wrong. In fact, if we want to even take it past that, there's a lot of people that say, well, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person, right? Um, I help people out. I vote conservative. I, I, um, you know, I listen to Christian radio, or I go to fast food places that only sell chicken sandwiches. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy what our society defines as a Christian. But as we read scripture, we know that's not the way it works. When we stand before Jesus, we're not gonna be standing before him and Jesus is gonna say, okay, let me look at your Facebook status updates. Did you like that post? Oh, you must be a Christian. He's gonna not gonna look at us and say, what, what actually did you check off on your census form in 2012? Did you check off? Oh, Christian, good. Okay, come on in. We gotta realize that's what society thinks, but that is not what scripture tells us. And so I think it's very important that we look at this matter. In fact, I would say it's very dangerous and I would say very hateful for us to let people allow them to think that they're Christians when in fact they're not. And in fact, I think it's very dangerous for ourselves to assume that we are Christians and not really look into it. Let me give you an example here. In 2 Corinthians, this is what is told to Christians. In 2 Corinthians it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test? And so I think it's very important that we, as Christians, 
that we look at ourselves and say, what is that test? How do we know if we are Christians? And we also need to know, what about the other people that we know in our lives that profess to be Christians? Are they actually Christians? Now, if we look at what Paul's saying here, he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, and right off the bat, he calls them Christians. Now, he's sitting in the jail while he's writing this letter. And so we need to look at why is he calling them Christians? And right from the start, this is what Paul says. He says, because I have heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So simply put, Paul is giving us a two-part definition here of what a Christian looks like. He says, first you have this faith in Lord Jesus. And what he means by Lord Jesus is saying that you have a faith that Jesus is God, that everything that Jesus has said is true, and all the implications that come out of that. The second part is, is that you show love for the other Christians, that you show love for your brothers and sisters, that you're actually showing love for others. And so as we get into that, I first want to just take a break here because I want to make sure that we're very clear here that Paul is not talking about what does it mean to become a Christian. Paul is simply addressing here a group of Christian, and he's saying this is how I know they are Christian. This is how I can tell that they are Christian. In a sense, it's what does a Christian look like? Because it's very clear in Scripture throughout Scripture how you become a Christian. Now, if you've been here before, if you even were here last week, you've heard the gospel. And that's something that we're unashamed about, and you'll probably hear it every single weekend. But if you're new here, I want to be very clear. In Scripture, when it talks about the gospel, it is an understanding that you are a sinner. Now, I realize that everyone can easily say, I'm a sinner, I'm a human being, I'm not perfect, I'm just human, blah, 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 right? We've heard that millions of times before where people say, I'm not perfect. But what this actually means is to admit that you're a sinner means that you admit that you deserve to be punished for your sins against the holy God. What you're saying as a sinner that is I deserve to be eternally punished in a literal place called hell. I deserve to be separated from God for eternity. That's what it means to be a sinner. Now, God knew this. God had a plan from the very start. And Jesus was sent to this earth to live the life that you should have lived. But you didn't live it. You failed to live it. And because of that, you're a sinner and you deserve to be punished. But Jesus lived that life. And because you deserve to be punished, Jesus then took that punishment for you on the cross. He was executed to pay the price of your sin. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered sin. And now, as we read in Ephesians, he sits at the right hand of God and he's been given all authority and all power. And because of that, as sinners, we can repent. We can put our hope and trust in Jesus as our Savior. We can say, yes, Jesus is God. And because of that, I can repent of my old life and I could turn towards Jesus. And that's what we talk about the gospel. That's the good news. Because we don't have any hope. We don't have any salvation in ourselves or in each other. Our only hope and salvation is found in Jesus as God. Now, what Paul's talking about here is not necessarily a gospel in the sense of what makes you a Christian, but what he's talking about here is that this is what it looks like to be a Christian. Now, the first thing that he talks about here is faith, and it's important to start with faith because a lot of times in our society, we want to start with how good of a person we are. Now, I don't read obituaries, but I would assume that if you were to read one, you don't read an obituary and say, okay, here lies Joe Smith, and his life really sucked. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is an obituary like that, but probably not. What's going to happen is that you're going to read an obituary about all the good things that he's done in his life. Well, let's take a step further. I'm sure most of us have been to a funeral. We go to a funeral and we hear about how great this guy is, what a great father he is, what a great husband he is, and, and how she was so loving to the community and how she gave so ba- much back to the community. 
And at the funeral, we're sitting there like, are we talking about the same person? Like, because when, when people die, you just assume that they were good. But what Paul's saying here, it has nothing to do with how good you are. He's saying it's firmly rooted. First comes your faith in Jesus. First comes the faith in believing that Jesus is God and that he's the only way to God the Father. Now see, what's very controversial about this is the implications. If you're saying that Jesus is God, then you have to believe everything that Jesus said as well. And so as Christians, we have to be exclusive. We have to say, yes, if you're a Muslim, you don't know God. If you're a Hindu, if you're a Sikh, if you're a Jew, if you're an atheist, yeah, there's no other way to get to God except through Jesus because that is what Jesus has said. And so there's implications that are going to come out of making that statement. In fact, because Jesus said he was God was the reason he was executed. Because his apostles said he was God were the reasons they were executed. And we know this today, even in media, when you say that Jesus is God, you're going to get labeled as many things. And people in our culture thinks that Christians are hateful. Now, there's some reasons behind that, but ultimately it's because we're making a statement that, yes, Jesus is right, and he is the only way, and there is no other way. And people don't like to hear that. Now, the second part of the definition talks about our love for the saints, our love for each other, our love for the other Christians. Now, we find this throughout Scripture. In Romans 1, we hear about living, uh, a, the righteous shall live through faith. And we hear in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, it talks about how we will labor in love and we will and do good works. Uh, in James 2, it talks about how faith apart from works is useless. And so throughout Scripture, you're going to see this. There's the faith and there's the works. There's the faith and there's a the love. And, but it always comes first. The faith comes first and the love is an action that comes from the faith in Jesus, from the faith that Jesus is God. And so if you, as we look through this, this is one of the most uh, important things that we could talk about because it's a very essential part of what it looks like to be a Christian. Now when we talk about love, right away we can get a messed up view of love because our culture has no idea, our society has no idea what love is. I mean, if we take a look at it, it gets wrapped up in Valentine's Day where Canadians spend a billion dollars on, on Valentine's Day alone. I mean, love, we assume that love is a bad Reese Witherspoon movie with Hugh Grant, right? That's what our society thinks is love, and that's the, the picture that we put around it. But what, what Paul is actually talking about here is, is more of a sacrificial love. Now, it's easy to do good things, and, and so I think Village Church does do a lot of good things. Now, we take a look at Village Church, and I could go on and on and on. I could list to you about people visiting each other in the hospital, people taking meals to new mothers or to sick people. We could talk about how there's, um, um, just going on and on, there's, there's a group, there's a, quite a big group that meets at this farm to help farm this food that is then given to the, uh, a food bank. So there's lots of good things that are going on and on and on here, and we can list them. But I think what we need to do is we need to drill down to the heart of the matter here. What exactly is Paul talking about when he's talking about love? If, if, we, if we want to remove everything else and get down to the very essence of it, what is Paul talking about? And we find out here, as he, as he continues just a little bit more, that he talks about praying for one another. And, and we'll get into that, but what it is is Paul is going to say there's a sacrificial love. Now, my daughter, in a sense, I, I think kids do a good job. See, kids basically are the same as adults, except they don't have the filter on them. And so my daughter, who's young, she'll share a Barbie with you as long as she doesn't want to play with that Barbie. Now, the minute that she wants the toy 
that is in her hands and someone wants to play with it, she won't share. She'll actually say that toy's too special to her. And so, of course, I tell her she's a sinner and to go repent. And <laughs> actually, kind of. But, but the thing is, is, as adults, are we that much different? Yeah, we'll do good as long as if it doesn't encroach on our personal freedom, if it doesn't encroach on our time. Yeah, we'll do good. We'll love people as long as it's not gonna cost us much money. Yeah, we'll do good as long as we don't have to sacrifice something on our end. As long as someone doesn't take advantage of us, then we'll love. But the second someone takes advantage of us, uh, we're not loving you. And so what Paul's drilling at here is as a Christian, out of the faith that Jesus is God, the implication is, is that you're gonna love others and you're gonna love others sacrificially. You're gonna love them in a way that the world doesn't know and not the simple, okay, I will do something for you once in a while as long as if it doesn't cost me anything. And so, actually, you can read about love a bit more. In 1 John, I think it, it kind of shows to you how important this is. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. He said, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, I want to be careful here, because as we read that, it's very easy to get that verse hijacked because it sounds very, oh, like love is love, man. And so some guy down on White Rock Pier that is smoking something he grows in his own backyard would love this verse, right? Love is love. Well, we cannot detach this. We cannot divorce it from the first part of the definition that Paul gave us, that we can love, but unless it comes from our faith in Jesus as God, then we don't actually know God. Then we're not truly loving. Now, as we read through Ephesians so what does that look like? What does it really look like to love? And, and Paul says it right, he follows it up. He says, pray for one another. Give thanks for one another. Thank God for one another. Now, prayer is one of those generic words. We're Christians, so of course we pray. So yeah, we got a prayer team that meets on Tuesday mornings and, and five of you show up, it's great. And we pray, yeah, there's needs, right? If someone has a need, we'll pray for them. And that's great. But Paul's talking about a never-ceasing prayer. Like, are we truly praying for one another? Do we come in here? Are we praying for the person that sat in the seat that you're sitting in? Are we praying for the people that are sitting around us? Are we constantly praying for people? Now, again, like, we can pray. What can we pray? Okay, we can pray like my daughter. Pray that we have a good night's sleep. Pray that there's a sunny day. Pray that we get a puppy dog. Like, there's lots of good things. And I'm not saying those are bad prayers. But if we drill down again, because for the sake of time, let's drill down to the most important matter. What is the most important thing that we could pray about? And Paul says that he's praying that we would continue to know God more, that God would continue to reveal himself more to us. And I would take it a step further that as Christians, if we're not truly praying for the lost, if we're truly not praying for people to come to know Jesus, then we need to check our motives. Do we really love people at all? Now, Village Church, there, there is some of that happening. Village Church, in a sense, I'm gonna give you one story of how this, is ha how this has happened, and I'm sure there's dozens and dozens of stories. But before Village Church even started, there was a family praying for one of their own kids. And they were praying because she wasn't walking with God. And so they prayed, and her family's friends prayed, and her family's community group prayed. And Mark, when he was meeting with 12 other people in his living room, getting ready to plant Village Church, he was praying for people just like her. And so, the end of that story, two months ago, she's baptized. 
And so that's how Village is working it out. That's how we love one another. We're praying that people would get to know God. We're praying that people would get closer to God. We're praying that those that don't know Jesus, that don't know the gospel, that God would show that to them and that we would be the ones to take it to them. See, what what happens here is, is that it's very important that as we talk about love, we need to ask ourselves, are we praying for others? Are we praying that as Christians, are we praying that we continue to get closer to God? Are we praying that others would continue to, to know God? Because I would say, if we're not praying that, do we even love them? How much would we have to hate somebody? If we proclaim that, yes, we love Jesus, we serve Jesus, Jesus is our God, and from that, we're going to love because that's what God has called us to do. As a definition of Christians, we have to love. And so how much will we have to hate somebody if we say we believe that and yet are too scared to tell others about Jesus? If Jesus is the most important thing in our lives and we won't allow ourselves to be uncomfortable enough to tell somebody about Jesus, do we actually love that person or do we hate that person? So I went into Starbucks this week and as soon as I walked in, this, this girl threw up her hands like, hey, I go to Village. And it's like, yes, are you going to give me a free refresher? It's, cool Lime's great, by the way. Anyway, I paid for it. It's, it's all good. I paid for it. But she was going on and on and on about Village. Now, and that's good. Like, Village is good, and I'm happy for that. But what really got me excited, then she talked, started talking about Jesus. And she started talking about how she's inviting her mom and how she's inviting her friends. And then she turns to her co-worker and says, hey, where do you go to church? And he was not happy about that. See, <laughs> See, I guess in our culture, you're not supposed to talk about those things when you're at work. But she didn't care. She didn't realize that, okay, this guy is going to be offended because I asked him about Jesus. But that's exactly what we need to do. We need to be praying for these people. We need to be telling these people about Jesus. And so if, if we truly love people, that's what's going to happen. Now, I think as we, as we get into this a bit, um, if we truly love one another, then we're going to live sacrificially like that. Now, to get back to what Paul is saying is, what does it look like to be a Christian? What is this definition of a Christian? That's how it's going to play out naturally. you got to say, yes, Jesus is God. I believe that. And that's good. And from there, there's going to be those actions. It's going to be, there's going to be a weight and a love on your heart that you cannot not tell people about Jesus. And so as we go forward, that's something that we need to do as a church. Paul makes it very clear that we need to continue to give thanks to God for each other. But also, we need to continue to pray to God that he would continue to draw us closer together as Christians. As well, we need to pray that God would continue to bring more and more people to him. And we pray that it happens through Village Church. And if not through Village Church, in other means, great. There's other great churches out there. But as a job, as you're sitting in these seats, as a Christian, as someone that goes to Village Church, be very aware that as a Christian, that is your job. That is my job. And so... As Village Church, we do a great job about this. We're seeing some great things happen. But on the flip side of this, we gotta be very careful. See, the problem is we gotta be very careful not to believe the hype. And let me explain this, because it's very easy to believe the hype. We talk to other pastors. We talk to pastors in some big churches, churches of 10,000 plus people. And they're blown away by how fast Village has grown. And it is exciting. God is doing a work here, and we thank him for that. And there's other crazy things. There's things where my brother-in-law who lives in Saskatoon is dating a girl in Saskatoon who's actually been to Village Church because she was visiting family out here and she happened to come. Or there's the time where we're meeting with this uh, church planning couple and they say, everybody's talking about Village. It's like a revival. 
kind of rolled my eyes a bit at that one. But then there's other things. Like if you go anywhere with Mark, you walk any place with him and it's like, hey, Mark. And Mark's like, hey, you. So <laughs> no, there's a, there's a lot of you. In all fairness, it happens all the time. But the thing is, is that we got to be careful because yes, God is doing a work here and it's exciting and we must not stop to give thanks to God. We got to continue to give thanks to God for what he's doing because he's doing the work here. But the flip side is, if we start to believe our hype, then it's the minute we start doing that, that is the minute we stop thanking God for what he's doing. The minute we start believing our own hype is the minute we become comfortable and not caring enough and not loving enough to reach out to other people. The minute we believe the hype is the minute we stop loving one another and start loving something that isn't all what it's really cracked up to be. And so what's gonna happen here is that we need to take a look at the numbers. Now, I'm excited, and, 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 I, and I praise God for Village Church, and there's roughly 1,200 that gather right now and call Village Church the place that they wanna gather and to hear about Jesus, and, and we love that. But let's be real. Let's, let's, let's look at reality. In a couple weeks from now, there's gonna be a tournament out here, a Kabaddi tournament, where there's gonna be tens of thousands, up to 50,000 people out there. So you're gonna drive here in a couple weeks, and as you're walking in, you're gonna see thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people sitting on a field to watch a couple men wrestle each other. That's the reality. The reality is that we live in a city. Surrey has 470,000 people. We live on the verge of Vancouver. The Vancouver proper, or Vancouver general area, has 2.3 million people. And most of these people don't know Jesus. Most of these people have never heard the gospel. And so when we look at ourselves and say, are we Christians? Yes, this is our faith. This is our theology. This is our doctrine. We believe Jesus is God. Second part of that, if we are Christians, how are we loving? How are we loving each other? How are we encouraging each other? But as well as, how are we reaching out to the 2.3 million people that God has put in our backyard? How are we reaching those people to the most important thing in our lives? And that's, as we look at that, we need to ask that because that's what it means to be a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian that simply comes to church on Sunday. There's no such thing as a Christian that's simply a good person. Martin Lloyd-Jones actually said this. He's a, he's a pastor that died a long time ago, but he did say this. He said, you are either a Christian or you're not a Christian. You cannot be partly a Christian. You are either dead or alive. You are either born or not born. And so to kind of wrap it up here, because Paul is praying and he's thankful for the Christians. And he, and he says, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And so, yes, we can have the faith part and we also gotta have the love part because there's two parts to that. Again, I'm not saying this is what it takes to become a Christian. I'm not saying this, you don't earn your salvation by the way you love. But he's simply saying that if you're a Christian, if you're alive, if you're born, then there's gonna be implications of that. And so we need to test ourselves. Are we loving? And what does that exactly mean? And so today, I want this as a good opportunity because I don't want anyone to leave here today questioning, am I a Christian? Because that is the absolute worst thing that we can do as Christians. That is the most hateful thing that we can do as Christians is to allow other people believe that they know Jesus. We, that we allow other people to believe that they are secure in Jesus when in fact that they're not. And so that's as Christians, we pray for one another to encourage one another. That why, why, that's why we always remind, that's why we gather here is to, to remind one another, yes, this is what it means to have faith in Jesus because Jesus is our God. We worship him. He's our salvation. He's our hope. And then this is what we're gonna do. We're gathering here and then we gotta go scatter. And when we scatter, we're gonna love. And that's because that's what Paul tells us that we need to do. 
And so if you're in here today, and I hope that you are a Christian, but if you're not, I pray that you don't leave this room until you wrestle with that. That this is true, this is, this is fact, that Jesus is alive and Jesus is God. And because of that, there's gonna be implications. And we want to love you because that is the most loving thing that we can do is introduce you to Jesus and to help you walk and get closer to God and get to know Jesus and get to know the gospel. And so that's my prayer. So I pray as, as the band comes up and we're gonna sing a few more songs and as we go through this, my prayer is that you wrestle with this and as you go from here, that you're convicted to continually test yourselves. And I don't want you to doubt yourself. I don't want you to say, I doubt, am I really a Christian? Am I loving enough? Again, you're not earning your salvation here. But we need to take a look at ourselves and test ourselves. This is what Paul says to be a Christian. What does my life look like? What does our life look like as a church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for, uh, for what you've done. We thank you for Village Church. We do. We thank you for Village Church. For every single person that's here, we thank you. We know that you did the work, that you bring people close to you, you draw people, that you call people, Father, that you're doing the work. And so we thank you for that and we praise you for that. Father, we ask that you give us strength, that you just give us conviction, that you give us the ability to, to proclaim who you are and what you've done and that you would open up people's ears so that they would hear what you want them to hear, Father. Father, give us the ability to love one another. Give us the ability to, to take our love and to, to spread the gospel and, and to go on mission for you. Because that's what, as Christians, give us that desire to, to love so much that our deepest desire is to see other people be fully devoted followers of your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen.